The following resource is from Christ Community Church. For more information, please visit lovinglord.org. The following lecture was recorded in a classroom-like setting in which only the lecture was recorded. Because of this, the participation in the classroom cannot be heard. When someone asks a question or makes a comment, there will be a brief break in the audio. Once the question or comment is finished, the lecturer will begin speaking again. Thank you for understanding, and we hope you enjoy the message. All right, let me pray. I'm so thankful you guys are here tonight, and uh, we'll hopefully do good work for about an hour and consider biblical community in a little more depth and, and hopefully try to apply it in how we live our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, and um, it is a blessing, Lord, to uh, study your word in an area that is so counterculture. Um, we know, Lord, that we weren't raised in a communal culture, and, and certainly the church does not live as a communal people, and yet we see it scripturally, and we know it's commanded, and therefore we want to be obedient to your word, especially in light of the fact that um, we know that partial obedience is disobedience, as we saw from the sermon on Sunday. And so help us, Father, to understand this call to biblical community, and even more importantly, I pray you would, you would cause us to live it out. As hard as it is, with all the challenges of um, living in the Bay Area, um, in the Western world, I pray that we would overcome them by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So we had a chance to, if you remember when we first started looking at this uh, several weeks ago now, we, we considered the importance of community and why we're studying in particular. And then we made our way through the, the, the five what I would say, scriptural or theological foundations. We want to be an authentic community because the scriptures teach us that. We saw in Acts chapter 2 that um, biblical communities are devoted communities. They're devoted to the word of God. They're devoted to one another. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, we saw that biblical communities are interdependent and interconnected. And we got that from 1 Corinthians 12 and the idea of the body and the body parts. Um, Ephesians 4 that we are a community that builds one another up as we each use our gifts and talents. Uh, Hebrews 10, we are an essential community in that um, you really can't live out the Christian life independent of the body of Christ. Um, in fact, it's an impossibility. And Kirk and I were just talking today, one of the reasons that um, I think that the church in the West is so weak in so many ways is because we try to do Christianity alone. It wasn't prescribed to be alone in the scriptures. It hasn't been practiced alone for 2,000 years, um, except in the West. Um, and then 1 Peter 4, we want to be an authentic community because authentic communities are God-glorifying. And see, these are kind of the foundations, the pillars of, of why we're talking about this and why we want to strive for it. Um, I want to do a little shift here, and I want to, again, most of us, if you were, if you were here at the community series, then... Hopefully this is bringing back some recall to you. Um, Myrna, if you need to move, feel free to. Okay. Um, poor thing, you're, like you're being blind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you got your eyes closed, you're not winking at me. All right, I just want to make sure. Okay, so I want to make sure. Um, I want to do a little shift here, and if you remember, we want to talk about um, what's required in our thinking. Um, we're going to get to some of the key attributes. We're going to look at commitment and truthfulness and unity. And then we'll look at some of the one another in commands. Probably won't get there tonight, but that's okay. Um, if you remember, one of the, the major shifts that has to take place 
I think for us, in order for Christ Community Church to begin to live in a more New Testament communal fashion, is that we have to think very differently about how we live. So it's not just a matter of, this is what the Bible says, therefore I must do it. It's really the entire approach of how I approach my life in Christ. Um, Do I live my life in Christ as me, my Bible, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, and church is an attachment? Or have I been saved by grace through faith and brought into the community, and now my faith is lived out of that community? The Bible would say very much the latter. In fact, I would go so far as to say the Bible has no idea what we call Christianity, how we practice it. Um, A great book that uh, Kirk and I just finished reading by Francis Chan on the church he was talking about some, he was doing some, um, he spent actually quite a bit of time over in China, and he was talking to an underground church there and how they do church, and he was telling them how we do church, and they wanted to know if we use the same Bible. It was so different in terms of their understanding of living out the commands of God in the context of the church as we, compared to what we do alone. Um, I thought it was very telling, you know, that we have a different form of scriptures, right? But you, you would conclude that in how we look at the church today, how we operate today. You would think maybe we're not reading the same Bible. So Joseph Hellerman, um, he wrote, this is a, a smaller version, when the church was family, he did his doctoral dissertation at UCLA in sociology, and his emphasis was on first century Mediterranean community. And he wanted to get his hands around what, when the Bible was being written, what did the community look like then? Because all of the teachings in the New Testament are in the context of first century community, right? So the authors, as they're writing, they're assuming lots of things. Um, and so he, this quote, the, the book is fantastic. If you have a chance to read it, I would recommend it, When the Church Was Family. Um, this is a pretty amazing statement, though, uh, if it's true, and I'd love to, get, love to get your thoughts. He said, a saving relationship with God and a commitment to God's group, that's the church, were apparently inseparable in the early church. So if you were committed to God, you were committed to the church. If you weren't committed to the church, you weren't committed to God. One became a follower of Jesus, and the family of God took, keyword, first priority in his life. What think you of that? The family of God, which would be the church, the local body of believers that that person became a member of, the family of God took first priority. Well, that makes sense, considering that Christ says, if you want to follow me, you've got to leave behind your, you can't put your family and so forth above me. Correct. So therefore, you have to leave your physical family and join the spiritual family. Yeah, so there definitely would be a, a, a shift in priority of relationship, right? So remember, he's writing in the context of the, of the first century. This is how the church understood it in the first century. So my question for you, though, is that last sentence, do you affirm that? Do you reject it? Do you struggle with it? The family of God took first priority in his life. Now, he's not saying the family of God, the church took priority over Christ, but when you consider all the things that are important to you in life, just name a few for me. Name some things that are important to you in your life. Income? Your immediate family? What else? Grandkids? Extended family? Well, church, yeah. So if we put that in the normal context, right? 
I would say work, school, right? All, all those things we would say are important. Your physical health, your physical well-being, um, your personal relationship with Jesus. He's saying that in the first century, the family, the church family, was at the top, and all those things fit into that. So, for example, um, he, he argued several points, one of which was that um, in the context of the local church, you would make decisions based upon what was best for that local body. So, for example, let's say you had an opportunity in the first century to, you know, take your business and move across town and, uh, and reestablish, you know, another form of commerce. He said that the church, you'd ask the church first, is this best for you if I go? And the church would weigh in. Now, this is fascinating. We talked about this, if you remember. This is probably one of the, uh, there were a few people who really responded poorly to this. That the church would have a say in what you do personally. So all those decisions were in the context of the family. Now, that makes sense. If you, if you consider a, a biological family, right? Mom doesn't go off here. Dad doesn't go off there. Kids, they, you know, you make these decisions in the context of a community. He's saying that that's how the church was to be prioritized. We s- yeah. More, more the, so it wasn't, uh, we, we want to be careful, right? We don't want to impose the first century culture onto the church. That would be, I think that would go beyond scripture. But um, all the decisions in a healthy church, they already did this in the community, in the larger community. So um, you wouldn't have made a decision on your own independent of your larger family, right? So they're transposing, we'll look at this in a minute. They were simply trying to, they were trying to do in the church what they were already doing in community. We don't think communally at all. I mean, we just don't think like that. And so we're another step removed. But yeah, all major decisions in the context of the first century church were brought to the church. And the church would pray. And the church actually, um, his argument was, and, and I think his studies would bear this out, that the church had a lot of say. So if the church came back and said, no, we don't think this is a good idea, that person would say, I'm going to submit to the church just as they would their extended family. Correct. That's right. <clears throat> Correct. You know, that's a really good point. So they, they really thought of themselves as family. So if the recommendation was stay, then the church saying, we're going to make sure that you're able to stay because you're part of the family. Now, so the idea of brother and sisterhood there meant a lot more than it does here. Right? Okay, so let's, let's just work through some of these things. So this was a, a paradigm that I drew up in my doctoral thesis that a relational priority paradigm shift needs to take place in the church in the West if we're going to be thinking and living biblical community. So authentic biblical community prioritizes the collective well-being of God's family over the felt needs of the individual. Now, it doesn't mean that the individual is expendable, but the individual isn't first, right? Now, that smacks a lot in the 20th century of, a, of communism, um, and, and, it's, and it's rejected wisely when it's in that political structure. But what we're seeing here is the understanding of scripture 
when it says to put the needs of others, which of course you know Christ did, above your own, right? So my argument to you is that if we have any desire as a church to begin to live out biblical community, then the, the God's family, the well-being of God's family has to be first over I want, I want, I want, right? It doesn't mean that you can't ever have what you want, but if what you want is detrimental to the body then, and you don't need it, then it should be expendable, right? Correct. That, that, that's right. It may not be. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, for example, um, Family X realizes that they can, they can leave the church, they can move to another state, and they can buy a beautiful house and lots of property and, and make a ton more money. You say, well, yeah, but can you sustain your life here? What's better for the church would be the first question in the New Testament. If that family came to the church and said, listen, this is what we want to do, they said, yeah, but you leaving the church would be horrible for us. Why do you want to go? Well, we, we, want, we want a big house and lots of money. They say, well, you know, that's not very missional. It's really not thinking about the lost, right? And so the, the whole dialogue would take place in the context of the church. Weird. I mean, it's amazing that you're just sitting here listening to this and you're okay with it. I mean, a lot of other churches, if I were to teach this in Texas... I was talking to Brandon Bishop about this in his church. He goes, this would not go over well at all at our church. Not at all. Um, so when I say, so a paradigm shift is a completely different way of thinking, right? A true paradigm shift is that you, you've moved the, the Rubik's Cube and now you're seeing, you're thinking in a very different way. Okay, so what's my justification for this? So an ontological or a foundational or a purpose justified is, I'm going to draw here on the character and nature of God, uh, God's Trinitarian. This is from um, uh, Chester and Timmis from their book, Total Church. Isn't that a great name? Total Church, great name for a book. Um, <clears throat> God's Trinitarian nature suggests that we should, this is their quote, we should define ourselves by the network of relationships in which we live rather than our personality traits or individual accomplishments. Now again, that's completely counterculture right? <clears throat> if someone, if you're going to go speak somewhere and someone's going to introduce you, they're probably going to talk about what? They're going to introduce you before you speak. What are they going to say? What did you do? Where'd you go to school? Degrees you had? Expertise? Why are you speaking? Right? You know, in the Eastern culture today, if you were to, let's say you were to go to India and they would have you as a guest speaker, you know who they talk about? Your parents your community. In fact, you, you, any of your accolades may never be mentioned at all. They talk about your father, your mother, the community in which you lived because they're thinking what? Identity is based upon community, not individuality or personal accomplishments. So again, that, the idea that our, when we think of, when someone says, tell me about yourself, is your first thought, disciple of Jesus Christ, member of Christ Community Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that your first thought? It's generally not, right? You'll say, oh, I'm married to so-and-so, these are my kids, this is where I work, this is where I went to school, this is where I live, this is where I, 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 instead of we, okay? So in the first century Mediterranean culture and in the first century church, it was we first, 
I second. And we're, so to be really careful, I'm not saying that the individual is not important. It's just a, it's a paradigm shift. So we have to move the pieces, right? The individual is important, but the identity comes from, your identity comes from your relationship with Christ, but your relationship with Christ is in the context of the church, right? He's the head, the church is what? Church is the body. In fact, in the entire book of Revelation, when we're talking about, I give a lot of individual imperatives from the pulpit, but when Christ comes, he's coming for his bride, which is the church, not you. You're part of the church, therefore you're part of the bride, but you're not the bride alone. Right, Tim? That's right. Yeah, the covenant of the marriage, the we becomes superior, right? Good. Um, the Essence of the Church, another great book by Craig Van Gelder. He, wrote, he writes, human beings are created to live in community, come to understand their individual identity from community, and express their individuality through community. Um, which again, a lot of cultures, Eastern cultures, they get this. Um, in the early church, they got this. Again, that statement, I think, is, is strange to us, that we don't think identity and community. I know myself in the context of the community. I think I mentioned this to you before. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, the 20th century theologian who died at the hands of Adolf Hitler, um, he wrote in his doctoral thesis, his doctoral thesis was the communion of the saints, and he went so far as to say, you cannot know you are a Christian apart from the community of Christ. Can't know it. You may profess Christ. He says you may be a Christian, but you can't know you're a Christian except for the community affirming that. Again, a very radical statement for, I think, most Christians today. Marissa? Very much so. Yeah, because that was mostly law versus, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't arguing so much identity in the community as he was salvation through the community. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, Tina. New York. That's right, the church needed him. Yep. 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 Oh, no. That's right. That's right. The importance of the confessional church in Germany for him, and he was arrested. He was executed at 39. 39. He was executed five days before the Allied forces liberated his camp. God had better plans for him.
Good for him. Um, Okay, so here's the dilemma. In the first century, Jesus was trying to make a shift from... So the word strong group, that's a a sociological term. (laughs) You think a bunch of strong people. Um, It means strong in terms of the group together, right? The thinking together, as opposed to a weak group, which would be the Western culture is a weak group, right? We're thinking individually, not so much group, all right? So Jesus' primary dilemma was to get a biological strong group, that's family, clan, tribe, ethnicity, to to have their affections, their first and foremost affections, not for their extended family, but for the church family. So he's constantly trying to maneuver this. And, and the dialogues, the, the, the most famous dialogue, of course, is Mark chapter 3, when the paralytic is being lowered through the roof. Remember, they scratch through the roof and they get the paralytic down. And then, you know, he's, he, he not only heals the paralytic, but he forgives him of his sins. And they say, what right do you have to, you know, forgive sins? And, of course, he's claiming to be God. And if you remember, his, his mother and his brothers were outside and they came to get him because they thought he was crazy. Right? They, they thought, oh, oh, Jesus is, he's off the reservation. He's claiming to be God. He can forgive sins. Well, do you remember what, he, remember what his response was? They said, you know, Jesus, your mother and your brother outside, they want to talk to you. And then he said what? I'll be right there. Get up. Now, again, I think I mentioned this, uh, and Hellerman makes this argument in his book. He said it was a grave insult to deny your mother and your brother's immediate audience when you were requested then was an insult. Now, we've got to be really careful because Jesus never sinned, but culturally, that would have been sinful. Okay? It wasn't sinful according to Scripture, but it was sinful culturally. Instead, he looks around. What does he say? You guys answered already. Who is my mother? Who's my brother? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven. That's my mother. That's my brother. That's my sister. And what was he doing? He was completely redefining family. And he wasn't saying, what, was Mary important to him? So important that on the cross, what does he do? He, he commissions John to take care of her, right? So we know that his family was really important. But he's saying, listen, there is a more important family. There are greater relationships than your biological brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, and so he's trying to, to take what was already understood by the culture and bring it into the church, which would have been considered crazy. And one of the reasons that uh, many of the early Christians were persecuted is because they were putting the church over their family, clan, tribe, or ethnicity, which was considered sinful. I mean, they were, they, it, was, it was considered hateful to go against your clan. And so... Um, so, you know, it's really interesting. As Paul, in the context of idolatry and the idol worship in Paul's letters, um, families and clans had idols. But you come to Christ and you can't worship that idol anymore. You're now going to worship the living God. You're part of a new community. And so they were hated and persecuted because they wouldn't bow down to the idols that kept their clan and their tribe safe. That's the, the, the priority was still an issue there. So does that make sense? That was what Jesus was trying to do. You say, well, okay, well, what about us? Well, we're one more step removed. This is why I think this teaching is so hard for us. Not to understand. I think, I think this teaching we actually, we get implicitly from the Bible. But when we say, okay, there, what does that mean for my life? It becomes very, very difficult. So Jesus was trying to get strong group into the church, that thinking. We're one step removed. We have to go from 
radical individualism to a communal worldview into the church. And some have said, um, one of my, actually one of the doctoral candidates in my cohort said, this is a ridiculous study, it'll never happen. And I said, maybe it won't, I, I don't know. I said, I think this is biblical though, and I think we have to strive for it. Um, he was coming from the South also, um, and so thought this is just ridiculous. So instead of just trying to go from communal culture into communal church, we have to go from radical individual autonomy into the concept of community, that's the paradigm shift, and then say, wait a minute, that highest community is the body of Christ, and I'm gonna live that out. All right, thoughts before I move on. Nope. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting, though. The other communities they're in, all the ones you just listed, all elevate individual autonomy. Right? So they do. They're, they're attached to it, but they have every right to go in and come out at any time they want. As opposed to the church, which, of course, we know, you don't just come in and go out anytime you want, that the church is a family. And so it's interesting because those communities are, uh, in many ways, they are fractured communities, right? Yeah, and that's a really good point. Correct. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, as we do too. That's right. Yeah. Correct. The understanding is that we believe that your Christianity is defined in the context of a local body. So to be absent that local body puts you in great danger, right? And we saw that in, in our study in Hebrews. Okay, so on your, on your, I had two questions at the bottom of your relational priority paradigm shift. That's a horrible title, but um, if you would, let's just, um, jot some thoughts down. What changes do I need to make in my life to prioritize the well-being of my brothers and sisters at CCC over my own felt needs? And try to be really specific here. So we're thinking, again, we want to not just review this, but try to apply it. And then what will these practical changes look like and what help will I need from others to implement them? So something really funny here. Don't think as an individual 
in trying to accomplish these, right? You should be thinking, how can my brothers and sisters help me be more communal? This will not count as part of your grade. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Freedom in Christ. Right. Freedom in Christ and that communal obligation. That's exactly right. right or even someone like you know the catholic church uses community to attract they're very good at it they see that it's missing in the culture and they draw people in (coughs) absolutely yeah technology companies today now they're all cultivating community correct correct They're spending millions on trying to figure out how to cultivate the best community. Fascinating. Which is a replacement of the church, right? And actually a replacement of the broader community and the culture. Yeah. Challenging. Very challenging. What's hard is there are Christians in other parts of the world that are doing it really, really well. It's natural to them, right? It's organic to them. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then at the end of it, I, as Christians, we should be able to say we have a right. Yes, it's true. But we will involve you. Correct. And, and make sure that, like, and, and Vinny is saying, our community. And I don't, there's a lot of people, especially 
Correct. It's hard to see. Yeah, they don't see it. That's right. All right. Let's, uh, let's consider some of your responses. What changes do you need to make in your life to prioritize the well-being of brothers and sisters here over your own felt needs? Any come to mind? That you're willing to share? <laughs> I know. It's like, eh. If I, if I put it out there, now it becomes a communal thought, right? Now the community's aware of my thinking. Renata? Good. Good. More active, more intimate, more available. As opposed to the felt need of what? Yeah, right? Which is less active. <laughs> Less communal, less available, right? Now, I think all of us would understand that pull on the flesh to be isolated. I, we, we, we drive in, what, automobiles, auto, one. Carpool lanes are hysterical because most people don't have anybody else in their car with them, right? Watching TV, on the internet, whatever we do, we do so much alone. Um, and to the point where we actually, we like being alone. From a cultural standpoint, even though our culture, the Western culture, is desperate for community, the flesh likes to isolate. And that makes sense. Satan loves for you to be alone, right? Because when you're alone, generally speaking, you're not all that good, right? You're just not all that good alone. Thoughts aren't good, behavior's not good, then you get into community. If you get into community with other like-minded people who are Christians, suddenly your your life's better, right? Now, does any do you know that battle I'm talking about? That uh, I want to be alone and I want to be in community, right? That felt need. We must understand the felt need to be alone. And I'm not saying you should never be alone. There are times when being alone is very very important, right? But if that is your primary disposition and your primary driving desire, then community's not. So that felt need has become fleshly, right? Okay. Thank you, Renata. Give me some others. Good. Yeah. Because as Yep. So the, that was kind of the process to get down to the point of just being available to the church family, right? Yeah. What makes others more important Yes. Because as you're talking about this, even as you referenced the Texas church, I, I think, and in most churches I've been in, people will agree with this. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. In a real way, we see it because when we talk about Christians globally, 
their brothers and sisters. Yep. And we'll sacrifice yep. to get to them because the persecutor have a need or those in the church body who have a tremendous, you know, a demonstrative need. Yep. So we all Yeah. You know, no, but you're right. You're that's right. That it is. That ecclesiology becomes very strained. You're right. Correct. So I love how you, Mark, that was so helpful because, so we start, we're starting off thinking as individuals, even in answering the question, we're thinking individually, right? What am I going to give up? My time, <laughs> which again, in the first, there was no such thing as my time. The my time was a function of the communal time, right? And it was community first, and then what about my time? And so... If we don't get a paradigm shift here, then even as we try to approach this, it's going to be difficult. But we have to, I mean, we have to ask the question and try to work through it. But that's very helpful. But isn't our time God's time? I mean, if, if or 10% of whatever. And so therefore, we should always be remembering that our time is God's time because God's allowing us to be here. And therefore, we should be do it, using it as much as to serve him. Good. And so um, I put um, be with them as often as possible to get more connected with them. Well, I've, I've got to get to know people better in order to know the needs and in order to see where I can help. And so that, that's been what I've been trying to do. Good. <laughs> so accessibility, availability, right? Those are all... Again, it's, it's amazing that we have to say this. It shows you how far off the mark we are. In the first century, they said, what are you talking about? Our lives are lived together. We're all these, that's, well, it's, that's how we are, right? So the fact that we identify these things and saying, I need to do this, shows just that we're over here in the paradigm itself. But you're right, that's the movement that has to take place from where we are. Anybody else? Andrea? <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I keep saying that because my it's always like yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's that's a, that's the you're you're obviously very gifted at it. We've seen what you can do with it, and so the tendency for us is to take a gift or talent, and we begin to monopolize that with ourselves, whether it's for you know prestige or money. Um, in the context of the church, it's always how does this bless the church? Does it bless the church, or does it, as you've just you know, said, is it taking away from my ability to, to love and to serve and to sacrifice for others? And is there a balance there that I can strike? Or am I good at it, but I want to get rid of that because I store up a treasure over here, which is like serving today like you did, right? So those things are what we want to be thinking about, um, where... Again, if the paradigm shift takes place, it's God's community, your service and love and ministry in the context of that, um, which time, you had mentioned this, time's huge, right? But time isn't the problem. I mean, we, we run ourselves ragged in this valley. I get that. But I, I would argue that if we had double the time in a day, we'd still, do it, we'd still consume it ourselves, right? It's the disposition of the heart that has to shift. And then whatever time you have, you will use that to maximize the glory for God, right? All of you have lots of skills and talents, right? And every single skill and talent or gift, we would say, comes from God. Every good gift, as James said, is from God. And the question is, how are you using that? How are you using that? Is the primary use of your gift or talent for the building up of the church for the growing of the kingdom, for the sharing of the gospel, for the making of the disciples. Because in the end, I'm going to read you a great quote from a, a, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon this Sunday. I'm going to put it into my, my text. It's just so good. But he talks about the greatest work of the Christian is to do the work of God. No matter what work you do, the greatest work we do is the work of God. That's helpful. I'll be praying for you on that, sister. All right, let's, what about the next one? What will these practical changes look like and what help do you need from others to implement them? So the great mistake in our autonomous culture is the identification of the problem and then say, I'm gonna fix it. Because the problem generally is that you are the problem and you're not very good, we're not very good at fixing ourselves. So when we identify an area like this, 
we want to then be able to go like Andrew, if we take your example, we want to then be able to go and say, okay, I need brothers and sisters. You gotta, you gotta help me out here. It's your responsibility to make me a better member of this church, a better brother or sister in Christ. And it is. And put the burden on some other people to help us out, to help us not be so isolated, individualistic, and maybe self-centered. What, did anybody give, write something down for that second inquiry? Say it again, Dad. Okay, good. So, that, yeah, the bot, that's really important, actually, that the church is moving and working together. Excellent. Not just Bob's ministry or Priscilla's ministry or Myrna's ministry. Good. Tina. Amen. Yep. Good. Good. Good, good, yeah. So community is hard to cultivate if needs are not expressed. Hard to meet needs when they're unknown. Right, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. We got to know. You got to know. We have to be perceptive enough to see it when someone's not going to say it. We have to be vulnerable enough to tell people. And then hopefully when the need is expressed, hopefully it's going to be met, right? That would be a really bad thing. It's like, I need help. And everybody's going, hmm. Try the church down the street, right? All right, let's, let's move on here. So 
going back to the biblical foundations, devoted community, uh, an interconnected community, a building community, a central community, and a glorified community in the context of strong group, paradigm shift. We're not talking about striving to do all these things as individuals. We're talking about all these foundations defining a community that truly lives as a family, right? That's why I put our little, that little yellow there, I think that's like the Shekinah glory of the Holy Spirit that blesses the body of Christ. And I like that. All right, so when I thought about communal attributes, I really pressed down on this. One of the things you have to do when you're writing um, doctorally is you have to really squeeze, squeeze, squeeze because everything gets way too big, right? Um, and so I, I really thought about Christ Community Church and three things, three attributes that, these, this is true both for church community or broader community. This is true sociologically, right? So not just for us. Um, and so I, I had a chance to read lots of studies in sociology on community, uh, both inside and outside the church. And these were the three that fell out. Um, I could have picked several others, but these were the three that I thought were really important for us. Um, authentic community requires the presence of certain key attributes. The three that I chose, not comprehensive by any means, commitment, truthfulness, and unity and love in order to exist and thrive. So for a community to be a true community, you need commitment, truthfulness, and unity and love. And I want to talk about those uh, briefly, and then we'll, we'll close our time tonight, and we'll pick up next time with some of the mutuality commands. Um, so those are your, if you remember from the study, those are your three attributes, commitment, truthfulness, hand on the Bible. You like that? Um, I had to pay for that icon, by the way, so. And then unity, I had to pay for all those. Um, thankfully, they weren't too expensive. So, uh, commitment to community. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to what? One another in love. And that's the same word, devotion. It's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when it said they were devoted to the apostolic teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Um, honor one another above yourselves. Before I give you some great quotes, why, and I want you to really think about this before you, why is commitment a necessary attribute of a healthy, authentic community? Why is commitment to the community necessary for the community? Good. So if the goal is community, to not be committed would kind of be a bad place to start, right? Good. Good. What you, your felt need as opposed to your, your committed desire, right? Which may, which may be necessary to overcome it. Good. What else about commitment is necessary for community to exist? <laughs> Good. So without commitment, when it gets hard, you're going to leave. Does it get hard in communities? And it doesn't matter what the community is. Inside the church, outside the church, all communities are difficult because you have, Mark, as you said, people are involved. And when people are involved, 
It's going to be hard. So without commitment, this is really, really important. If you don't start off saying, I'm committed to this, even when people are really, really bad to me, even when I come and I don't feel good about these people, but I'm going to stay the course, right? That sounds very similar to what? For better, for worse, until death, and right? So it's, it's very much like a covenant marriage. We talk about covenant churches, covenant membership. It's very, I'm committed to this. I'm going to go this course. When it's easy, when it's hard, when it's good, when it's bad, I'm staying the course. Without that commitment, which we don't have in the Western church today, what do people do? It gets difficult, and you do go down the street to the next church. And then when it gets hard, you go to the next one and the next one, and guess what? That's your whole life. Because every single church you go to, if you're, let me, let me take that back. Every, any, single, any church you go to where there's any sense of community, I mean, if you go to a church of 10,000 people, you know, you might not have any issues because <laughs> you don't know anybody, they don't know you. But if you go to a, a church where there's some community, well, there are gonna be problems. Every single church. And therefore, you're just gonna go, tick, 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 tick. and we have. You know, because there are not a lot of evangelical, baptistic, reformed churches in the South Bay, I know all those pastors. I, a guy called me yesterday, he goes, hey, I got a guy from my church, I got a guy to my church, he goes, he was at your church. I go, yeah, I know him. Dink, 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 dink. He goes, I said, no, I think he's a believer. He goes, well, I said, just be careful. I said, he probably won't be there long. As soon as something comes up, he's going to think, right? And in an area like ours where it's easy to know, um, pastors call. <laughs> they say, hey, by the way, yeah, you know. So commitment is, without commitment, without commitment, you're not going to get transparency, right? I mean, if I don't think you're committed, I'm not going to open up to you. I'm not going to be intimate with you. Now, if you don't have intimacy and transparency, then what kind of community do you have? Artificial, stuffy, right? So this is, I mean, one of the reasons that when you come into our church, you come into a covenant community and you actually agree to the membership covenant. You agree to the statement of faith. You agree to lots of things before you come in here. And the idea is that you're committed to this community from the get-go. And then we say to the church, this is a, a, a brother or sister who's now a member here, therefore what? Intimacy and transparency is available. Does that make sense? Right? So, I mean, it, it should be like this. If Before Lori and I get married, I'm going to wait till she's committed to me before I become intimate and transparent with her. Otherwise, I may become transparent with her and she may bail, right? So commitment is just absolutely necessary for any type of community, and yet it's one of the things that we don't see in the Western church today. Not a lot of commitment. Marissa? Yeah, I think like with the commitment to really take place in the church community, like true, authentic commitment, uh, church membership needs to be in place because that was an issue that came up with my last church where they closed down membership and, you know, there was like an expectation of commitment for people who weren't members. They're acting like they're members, but there's no official commitment of actually being covenant members in the church. And I think that causes just a lot of ecclesiastical problems. And, um, you know, it, it, it allows people to more freely just jump around church to church because yep. they don't really have commitment. Um, and I think it makes it messy, too, because it's like you poured so much into your life and you're just going to bail, but it's like, well, I'm not a member, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely increases mobility. Yeah. We see that. Yeah. All right, let me give you a couple great quotes. Um, this is from Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop. Um, they wrote a great book called Compelling Community, and I think that's actually in the bookstall. 
um, a life centered on the local church is a life countercultural of countercultural commitment. So it's the opposite of the culture, right? In fact, you've probably had people criticize you. Have you not? Why do you spend so much time with those people? Why are you hanging out with those people so much? Who are these people? You know, who, what, is this a cult, right? Uh, yeah, I guess in your mind it might be. Um, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. For God to work in her heart like that. Uh-huh. Agreed. Commitment and relationship are two sides of the same coin. I love that, and that's so helpful. In order to have a real relationship, there has to be some form of commitment. Right? Well, we get this when you, were, when you were a kid and you had friends. There was a commitment to that friendship. And if there wasn't, you knew it quickly and that friendship did not go very far. Right? So we get this everywhere. We certainly understand it outside of the church. We need to get it inside the church. That, and so this is not just commitment to a membership covenant. This is commitment to the body of Christ, to brothers and sisters in your love for them and hopefully their love for you. Um, okay, the next one is... Let me go back. I'm sorry. Any comments on commitment? I think I had a... Didn't I have something there for you? I do these handouts and then I don't even look at them. Isn't that great? Yeah, let's do this. How can you be more committed as a member at the body of the body at CCC? How can you be more committed? Now, I want you to think relationally primarily not i'm going to do more ministry i want you to think relationships how can you be more committed relationally here let's take a minute since we're running short on time remember we want to understand these things and and try to make some real changes You know, Kirk and I were talking today, and I think one of the hardest things for Christians today, because we're so isolated, is to truly be transformed on a day-to-day basis. You know, we'll come and we'll listen to a sermon or a Bible study or like this, and we'll hear it and we'll understand it and we'll agree with it, and then we'll walk out the door and there'll be no change. Right? Um, We know that God wants us to grow more and more each and every day. So what are some ways that you can be more committed? How can you be more committed? Yeah. And so that would be very intentional, right? Of you, and hopefully you do this on a regular basis. Sunday's coming up. You're going to get some time with people. You might have an opportunity for lunch. Say, you know what? I want to I want to get to know this person. I'm going to intentionally grab my chair and sit across from Sister X, Brother Y, and I'm going to get to know them more. Very, very intentional. That is a commitment to the community. Good. What else might you do very practically? Yeah. You're on my next point already, Renata. Segwaying. Yes. 
Hold that thought, sister, because that is true. Yeah, if you're going to get to know someone, you want, you want them to know you, so we got to open up. Again, that's transparency and intimacy, which hopefully there's some commitment in advance. I have, I have, um, I have confided and been transparent with some men over the years, and I wish I had never done that in retrospect. You know, the commitment wasn't there, and it came back and burned me pretty badly. What else? Come on, give me, give me a few more. We got, we got to move here. I want to get you out of here. Yeah, yes, absolutely. It was not wise on my part. I knew better with these men. Um, yeah, so we want to open up, but we also want to be wise in the context of relationship, right? Yeah, yeah. With, with two in particular, I, I knew better, and I shouldn't have. I was trying to open up a door there. and Correct. Yeah, so part of... It's a great point. We're, 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 we're not going to get to it next time, but that we have to be okay being hurt. We, I mean, vulnerability is vulnerability, which means sometimes even when there's commitment, there's intimacy, it's not going to go well. Yeah. Good. Good. I agree, and in and the identity in the context of the church, I mean, we, we know the church, we, we saw the seven churches in Asia Minor, lots of struggles. I mean, you've read 1 Corinthians, massive struggles, and so even in the context of the church, there are going to be issues, right? But our identity is in Christ in that church. What else, William? Um, Jesus. Yeah. Good. Yep. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not fair, William. You asked me to pray for you. So it wasn't clairvoyant. (laughs) So, no, forgiveness is huge. When we talk about being committed and then when we harm one another, we seek forgiveness and grant forgiveness. Okay, so commitment. I do not believe you can have... Go ahead, Dad. I'm sorry. Good. Yeah. So you. I love it. It is. Be there, you're not square. So, all of us know what it means to be committed, because we're all committed to something. Everybody's committed to something. Right? That something may not be good, but we're committed to it. We're all committed to something. We've all been committed to something. 
Um, Joshua just finished up nationals. He's obviously, you know, he's rowing. He just finished up nationals in Tennessee, and I talked to him uh, this morning. I go, how are you feeling? He goes, relieved and um, sad. Relieved that it's like, because, I mean, their season's just, it's stupidly brutal, right? And sad because there's so much joy in that commitment, you know? Um, so we, we know what that's like. We know what it looks like. Anybody who did any sports of any kind or an instrument, you know what that looks like. And yet that doesn't translate into the church. And yet I would hope that you'd say, oh, I want to be a better follower of Christ and brother and sister in Christ than I was a baseball player. I want to be more committed to the kingdom of God and Christ's church than I was to my piano or violin or guitar. Right? So it's, it's interesting. We all get commitment but when it comes to the church, then it's still, in our culture, it's like, I'm committed, but I'm committed on my standard. This is what I want. Don't you think that, that our, our getting our salvation is enough reason to be committed? Uh, because salvation is a commitment, and we're giving our lives to Jesus Christ in, as a result of his salvation process. So therefore, we should be yeah. Agreed. So our salvation in Christ, what Christ did for us, should be the primary motivation for us wanting to be committed to his church. Agreed. Great point. There. You know, it's interesting, Mark. I got to tell this really quick story. So last year, Joshua, he rode for the first time as a freshman, as a novice. And he won whatever the award was for best novice rower. And the coach said, though, the coach goes, I hate this award. Before he gave it. He goes, because this is not an individual sport. It's all about the team. And he goes, so I don't want to. He goes, this man worked really hard. He goes, but. And so Josh, he went up and got it. And it was one of those like, yeah, this award's here. We do this. But it's about the boat. It's about the eight men rowing as one. Yeah. All right, let me do, let's do, uh, what's my time here? I want to, I, I'm always trying to get you out of here at 8.15, and now it's 8.16. So let's do this. Um, let me just introduce you to this second attribute, which was with truthfulness. So we had commitment, truthfulness, and then unity in love. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 25. Um, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Um, so this idea of, oh, I didn't want to do that, sorry. This idea of truthfulness, um, Thomas Aquinas, shout out for you, Thomas. Thomas Aquinas was one of the um, uh, church fathers of the 12th century, uh, one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church, some say even greater than, than Augustine. Um, he said it would be impossible for men to live together in community unless they believed one another as declaring the truth one to another. So why, why do you think I settled on, why is truthfulness so important for a community to be a community? And again, there were several I could have picked. This one really fell down on this church for me when I was doing my studies. Why is truthfulness so important, Renato? Yep. Good. So speaking the truth in love when it's hard, 
right, in the context of community is really important. The whole idea of one anothering is I'm going to care for you and I'm going to help you try to see that you're in sin, that you're moving away, right? But if we're not going to be truthful with another, you're never going to say that. You'll just let them go. So the preservation of the brotherhood and sisterhood. What else? Why is truthfulness so important when you think community? And you... Good. Yes. Good. 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 Well, you hit a big one. So trust. If we're not being truthful, there's no trust. If there's no trust, no intimacy, no transparency, there is no community. There's no common unity, right? You may be a people gathered together, but where there is no trust, there is no community. Where there's no truthfulness, go ahead, Tina. Yep. Correct. Cannot. Um, if you don't, if we don't speak the truth to one another, we can't know each other. I mean, you can't know other people. If truth is not there. And if you can't know other people, then again, there is no community, right? You have all these people gathered that are isolated, individualized. And I think, I don't, I know I say a lot about the Western church, but I think that probably describes us better than the definition of community I gave you. Um, Not a lot of truthfulness. And that's not a blatant lie. That's how are you, I'm fine, when I'm not. That's not truthful. How can I pray for you? And there's silence. I mean, when someone asks you that question, you probably have like 40 things, don't you? Okay, get, get your pad out. Well, I got, oh, I got a lot. But are you going to pray for me, right? And then they say, I, I didn't really mean it. I'm, I'm being honest, right? When someone says, how are you? They don't always mean that. That's a cultural cliche. That's, that's like saying, hi, bye. How are you? And then you tell them, what are you telling me this for? I just said it. Because it's polite. I said I'd pray for you, but I'm not going to. Um, I Actually, I would appreciate that truthfulness. I really would. If someone says they're not going to pray for me, I'd rather know that than say you're going to pray for me. Think they're praying for me, and then they never did. Um, all right, well, you know what? We'll do, so we'll talk about this next time, but unity is the third attribute, and we'll, we'll hit that. Um, So this is not intended to make us discouraged. This is intended to hopefully draw us back to the word of God and, and set us on a course that we are probably going to spend our whole lives trying to pursue. Right? How do we live faithfully as members of the community of Christ? How do we do that? How do we help each other do that? Uh, Kirk and I have been thinking about this and talking about it and praying about it a lot lately. Um, you know, our responsibility as pastors is this church. Your responsibility of members is this church. And so we can't be okay saying, yeah, that's what the Bible says. And yeah, we see it in other places in the world. And yeah, it's not happening here, but that's okay. We can't do that. We have to say, 
yeah, it's, it's, it, we're not good at it here. It's really, really hard here, but the Spirit is with us, and, and he will help us, and he absolutely will help us. So please do not let any of these things, if you, if, if you feel um, guilty, don't feel guilty. That's Catholic. We're not Catholic. If you feel conviction, then that's good. Then just confess that to God. And, and ask him to forgive you and say, Lord, help me walk in the path of righteousness. That's what he wants, right? That's an easy thy will be done because he wants that too. So um, bring your sheets with you. We'll pick up. I'll have you answer the response to, um, to truthfulness and then we'll hit unity and then we'll look at some of the mutuality commands as well next time. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for uh, bringing us together as a community. Um, I pray that you would use this time to uh, grow our love for one another, our commitment to one another, our willingness to speak the truth to one another. Um, I pray for all my brothers and sisters, all of our brothers and sisters who weren't able to be here tonight. Um, I pray that you would bless them with this knowledge supernaturally, uh, and that you would uh, give them a desire uh, to be a, a committed, active member of this church. Um, we, we know, Lord, that we're blessed when we do, um, but above all else, we know it brings you the most glory. And what a powerful testimony to the world to see once complete strangers living together as members of an intimate family. Um, what a great gospel testimony, Father. Do that here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Christ Community Church is a Reformed Baptist church in San Jose, California. If you'd like more information on our church, please visit lovinglord.org. From there, you can find service times, weekly gatherings, our sermon archive, and other resources. For video content, please visit our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you again for listening.